morning, we're thankful for your hand and healing upon Claudia and for her return here. We pray for Robin, who is unable to be here today because of some mechanical difficulties. We thank you, Father, for those Darwin who's running the camera and Gary and Kathy and those who lead our worship team. We pray, Father, your blessings upon Ira as he leads our Sunday school class and always has um, some very insightful thoughts. We thank you, Father, this morning for Robin Child Care and Jayhop, for those who support our church um, by their prayers and by their finances. We pray for those by the way of television, Lord, and those who listen faithfully, that we are a blessing to them. We thank them for their prayers and their presence, their financial support. We pray for Kathy, Rousey, and we pray for Pastor George Groves as he's dealing with bouts of cancer. Pray for my daughter, Hope Haver, Passion Brenner, that you continue to have her, her hand upon her as she's in isolation for a number of days and going through, um, through experimental drugs and chemotherapy for leukemia and Philadelphia virus. We pray for mothers as we celebrate Mother's Day today and you brought some dove candies for their sweet goose and we thank you that Mother's Day should never be one day or even one week or one month, but every day to be grateful for our mothers. I speak to my mother once or twice a day for maybe just minutes, but just to see how she's doing. We thank you, Father, for her patience and the virtues of the Holy Spirit birthed us, their love, their joy, their peace, their patience, their long-suffering, their meekness, their gentleness, their kindness, their self-control. Mothers that are leaping and jumping and praising the Lord in heaven where there is no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more death. Those mothers that are living still. We pray, O Lord, as we come today, giving our, our gifts of our time, our talents, and our prayers to thee, that you are the ever-present God who speaks to us in thunder and earthquakes and in the softest whisper. We long to hear your voice over all the noise of the world this day. We thank you for those who participated in the, the day-long event on the World Covenant Association, the Wesleyan the Wesleyan Covenant, as a, a new church being formed, the Global Methodist, as the United Methodists have become very liberal in many ways, and now the Global Methodists are taking over, renaming themselves the Global Methodists or the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Help us to follow along, and we thank you for the day-long seminar workshop yesterday by way of Zoom and those who put it on. We pray the Father for bishops and district superintendents that are staying involved and aware and briefing us on 
all the aspects of the new church. In a world so divided and in a world so polarized, we need to hear not only the voice of the shepherd, but the cries of other sheep who are being marginalized, forgotten, and abandoned. May the gifts of our time, our worship, our presence today, as we offer today our response to hearing the one who speaks in the language of love and compassion in his holy name, we pray, Lord, asking for a special blessing, Lord, today upon our scripture, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 and following. Scripture that reminds us of, of Jesus. Jesus said that whosoever readeth the word of God and worships God is closer than a mother and closer than a father. And we thank you for the closeness of your word, Lord. Bless Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 21. As those by way of television and those by way of all of the United Methodist Church. We thank you for those who are viewing by way of television, radio, and YouTube, and Facebook. We thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to come within the homes of those who are unable to worship. And as we all gather to remind ourselves of the Lord's closeness and the Lord's blessings, as the Lord taught us to pray, saying, Again, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. As Mike comes and prepares to share with us moments from the laity, let us all turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 and following. If you're here at all of the United Methodist Church this morning and have not brought your own Bible, Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 21, is found on page 67. In the New Testament. And God bless the reading and the hearing of this word today. Jesus calls us and reminds us that never put our our light or our lamp under a jar. And we we talk about light, light, and light and light and in our Sunday school class today, that no one after lighting a lamp hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed but puts it on a lampstand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be disclosed, nor is anything secret that will not become known and come to the light. Then pay attention to how you listen, for to those who have, more will be given, and from those who do not have, even what they seem to have will be taken away. And Jesus talks about the true kindred, kindred of, of Jesus, that we can become brothers and sisters in Christ. And then his mother, say it with me this morning, mother. And his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him 
because of the crown. And he was told, your mother, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. But Jesus said to them, my mother, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. God has his blessings on his scripture. Good morning, brothers and sisters. As Randy just read and said, our, our study, our passages today are Luke chapter 8, verse 16 through 21. Our passage today initially mentions light. If you see the light, it's absolutely critical to keep it uncovered so others can see it. They see the light that will guide you. They may not know or understand the source of the guiding light, but it's still better to see evidence of it. So that they can follow and discover the path that you are walking and what your destination is. Hearing your words may draw curiosity, but just like they may not understand your actions as a Christian, maybe that also fits into your words. They may not understand what you're saying. Regarding your belonging to Christ, what people hear you say can occasionally be even more inviting and straightforward than what you, what you do. The circumstances may be that people only get a chance to hear your words. They don't get to see you act. They don't get a chance to see you in action or Christ in action. What they do is hear your words. But whether you do something or say something like Christ, it's essential that the conclusion that is drawn from your words or actions is that it's Christ. If Christ is your Lord, ignoring that fact is only and justifiably invites one charge, hypocrisy. If you claim Christ, you better act like it and you better talk like it. Verse 17 reads, For nothing is hid that shall not be made manifest, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. What Luke is saying here is whether your works are good or evil, Christ's light will expose them for what they truly are. No matter the secrecy, how secret they are, they will be exposed for what they are and most importantly, what you are because of what you did. God sees and knows all, everything. Even what we're thinking before we act. He knows it. He sees it. There are no secrets. A parallel Bible verse for this supports it is Luke 12, 2 and 3. That says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed from the root, from the rooftop. Now, verse 18 may initially sound a bit confusing, but the context is that we should pay attention to what we hear. And we can think those who have will have more. That doesn't sound fair. But do you know what it's referring to? The Word of God. When we listen and pay attention to what we hear and say, biblically, God 
God will multiply our understanding and increase its yield. So it bears even more fruit. Or we just hear something. We're like, oh, yeah, okay, I heard it. And you move on. When the Bible speaks to you, she get locked up here. But our verse also says, as Charles says, that things will be taken away from those who just seem to have. It's being about the Pharisees. Their pretend godliness for appearance's sake only was based on the lie that God will strip away all that to them in their judgment. For the entire Pharisees display of godly appearance and religious practices, again, just for looks. They were hollow and dead inside. They didn't have any substance. But God knew this. And you know what? He will judge them for their false religious bravado. But this warning is for the disciples and also for us. If our pride is focused only on the godly appearance, always all. I don't want to do that because it might look bad. I'm in church. If you're only doing it for looks, you're wrong. And it will be taken away and judged meaningless these superficial practices and religious things will be taken away when they're judged meaningless by the same God that it merely pretends to honor. When the Pharisee says, oh, look at me, I've got the beard, I've got the tassel, you know what? You know how much God cares about that because they're child one side? That much. They're dead. In our last verse, 21, it makes a declaration of who Christ's family is, who they truly are. They are only those that study the Word of God, read the words, but most importantly, do it. The positive feelings one would get from knowing and doing or saying the word of God invalidates and supersedes, uh, supersedes any awkwardness or embarrassment from acting out and speaking as the Lord would in front of others. Yeah, you may come to a point where well, I can say this, but I'll be looked at. I think it's weird, out of place. You know what? That doesn't matter. What's your duty to Him? Not them. That's what you be thinking of. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Mike, I would like you to help me in making a presentation. We've, um, I established almost a tradition in one church that I used to serve that your big falls church always managed to fishing season on Mother's Day. So we celebrate Mother's Day a week before. And what we lose from our congregation, we gain in travelers. And Mike, I want you to make a presentation to Janet. Janet um, Peterson um, represents a real patriotic heart. She has probably more service-related um, children, and then also very patriotic. And the scripture was on life. So we would like to recognize Janet Peterson today for her motherly virtues. So would you see that? And I think um, over the years, 
we recognize Vernon Giant for their amount of individuals in the church and children or grandchildren even on the patriotic Sundays too. And I, you know, Jeannie and Joe are very involved in our church. Always known when they're not here. And they open the windows when it's hot and they, they light candles and, and they greet us and make sure that everything is in line. And they're carrying on a tradition of Janet in, in Bern for many years. Um, the trustees would take turns, you know, opening the church, making sure the church is open. And a trustee took very seriously his work. We find another our scripture reading, and maybe before we go to scripture, Claudia, are you back in shape?
plants in our minds the, the mighty lesson which that parable contains. They deserve the, the special attention of all, all true-hearted hearers, hearers of the gospel of Christ. William firstly, and I, I know a number of you have been taking notes and you write fill in the blanks and you can kind of put um, your thoughts on the back of the bulletin there. The first one is spiritual knowledge. I think we're all gathered here today and those by way of television and, and radio. They're lifting because they want spiritual knowledge. They want some sense of spiritual knowledge. And they're diligently seeking that knowledge. And they want to not only seek that knowledge, but they want to utilize that knowledge in a very practical way. And our Lord Jesus Christ tells us that it's like a lighted candle. Now, I was going to bring a book of matches for each and every one of you today. And then I thought, well, I don't know. You know, maybe burn ourselves. Well, our Lord tells us that you and I are like a lighted candle. We're not supposed to be dangerous, but we're supposed to light. And that a lighted candle, Jesus goes into almost the opposite effect when he says a lighted candle is utterly useless when it's covered by a bushel bag or when it's placed underneath a bed. Only useful when it's set upon a candle stand. I watch very closely go with lighting candles and how the candles, lit candles, remind us of the Holy of Holies in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And a candlestick is a place where it can be made very serviceable to the wants of humans. Candles remind me of how the early Christians would gather in catacombs and caves underneath the ground. There was no visual light from the outside. They, they read scripture and they would tell one another their personal testimonies by the light of a candle. And when we hear the lesson in this scripture, we should first think of ourselves before we think of anybody else that could possibly profit by the scripture. We should ask ourselves, how can we profit? How can you and I profit from this lesson? Well, the gospel which we possess was not given to us only to be admired. Many of us admired it, but, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than being admired. It, it's more than being talked about. It's more than being professed. And even though I like, enjoy Sunday school class and listening to Ira, and I say go back and listen to myself, and I listen to a number of pastors on Sunday morning coming and going, it's more than that. It's more than being listened to and professed. It needs to be practiced. If it's not applied, if it's not the Word incarnated in our lives, the Word does not come flesh in our bodies. It was not meant merely to reside in our intellect, in our memories, and our tongues, but it's to be seen, actually seen in our, our lives. Christianity is, is a talent. It's a talent that's committed to our, our charge and one which brings with it a great responsibility. I've lived into 
the way the progressives in the United Methodist Church are trying to veer off to what they think that their intellect is, is carrying them to. And I've watched the progressives feel that culture is about Christ. Culture about Christ rather than Christ about culture. And I've seen within the new name of the United Methodist Church, the more conservative movement, which is called Global Methodism, Global Methodism, which is running parallel to the Wesleyan Covenant, underneath the Wesleyan Covenant. And I spent the day yesterday on Zoom, and for $15 I was able to listen to a number of speakers that were gathered in another state, and I heard them share the light of the gospel and how sincere they are. We are not in darkness like the heathen. There's a glorious light that, that is being put before us. And let us take heed that we use this light. The light of the truth of Jesus being the truth, the light and the way that no one cometh unto the Father except to the Son. And while we have the light, let us what? Walk in the light. It's not only seeing the light, visually seeing the light, but it's walking in the light, according to John chapter 12. But let us not only think of ourselves. When we leave this place today, let us not only think of ourselves, but let us also think of others. Of others. I think the tragedy, and I've heard so frequently the tragedy of our, our youth being shortchanged by not experiencing your senior years and your junior years, losing their athletic scholarships. But how, how much worse is think of a, of a child or a grandchild that's not certain of their relationship with Christ? How will we grieve my soul if I did not know for sure that my children were not on the way to heaven and my grandchildren, that they did not know the plan of salvation, the ABCs of all of us, from pulpit to pew, sin has fallen short of the glory of God. And B, we need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then C, we need to commit our lives to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There are millions in the world who have no spiritual life at all. It may be our neighbors, it may be those we come across. Yesterday, uh, I was picking up a few items at O'Reilly's, and I always try to witness in a certain way to certain stores and members. I was walking through a parking lot and I noticed a new Mustang that just came out of the um, parking lot and the individual was pulled over the side and um, I commented on his car it was a convertible convertible Mustang. And he had a, a new I said new paint job, but it was a new decal, and the decal says the exorcist. And I, I asked him, I said, what is it that would ever encourage you to put that decal on? The exorcist on this brand new um, Cobra Ford, Cobra Ford. And he said, well, when I took it in to get it serviced, the employees talked me into putting this new decal on. It was like probably about four feet long and about a foot 
wife. And I, I said, are you a Christian? And he said, no, I'm a Muslim. And I said, even as a Muslim, do you know what the exorcist is? What it stands for? And within religion, within Christianity and that, an exorcist is one that casts Satan out, that exercises a, a, a demonic influence. And he said that he wasn't in agreement with that, and, and he was going to take it back and try to have that detail removed. There are millions in the world we, that have no spiritual life. They're, they're walking in a sense of maybe spiritual ignorance. They're still spiritual. They're in spiritual darkness. They are without God and without Christ and without hope, according to Ephesians chapter 2.12. If they're not walking in the light, walking Christ, they're walking in darkness. And we do nothing. Can we do nothing for them? When I was at the uh, Billy Graham conference here uh, last Saturday, that was at the uh, Mac Hammond Church of Word of Faith, and the Billy Graham conference was teaching us how to view light from darkness and how so many Christians so many Bible-believing Christians are walking in darkness that they're part of the worldview rather than the Christian view. They're part of the worldview rather than the biblical view of nature, and they don't understand the difference between the two. Can we do nothing for them? There are thousands around us in our own land who are unconverted and, and dead in their sins, seeing nothing and knowing nothing knowing nothing aright. At the Billy Graham conference over at McCammon Church, I was sharing Christ with a young man from Liberia. And I said, young man, how are you doing with the Lord? And he said, fine. He just said, arrived in the States. And I asked him what he did in Liberia. And he said he was a Liberian. United Methodist minister. And I said, that's interesting. I'm a, a Methodist minister, Robinsdale, all of it, United Methodist Church. And we exchanged cards. I gave him a card. He didn't have his card, but he sent me a card. And yesterday, he, he gave me a call on me at prayer and fellowship on the phone. And I encouraged him to get in touch with our district superintendent because he was a very conservative. United Methodist in Liberia, and I felt there was a real need in the States for a conservative Liberian United Methodist minister. According to Ephesians chapter 2, 12, can we do nothing? Can we do nothing for them? There are thousands around us in our own land who are unconverted and dead in their sins, seeing nothing and knowing nothing that's right. Can we do nothing? Nothing for them. Now these are questions to which every, every true Christian, every true Christian who hears me by my voice, by way of television, by radio, Facebook, we ought to find an answer. We should strive in every way to spread our relationship, our relationship with Christ, Christianity. And the highest form of selfishness. I believe the highest form of selfishness of most Christians 
that of the person who was content to go to heaven alone. They're not worried about their spouses. They're not worried about their children. They're not worried about their grandchildren. I believe that's the, the highest form of selfishness, is that of a person who is content to go to heaven alone. But the truest sense of Christianity and the truest sense of love and charity is to endeavor always, to endeavor always to share with others every, every spark, every life of religious life that we possess within ourselves. And so to hold our own candle that it may give light to everyone around us. I've noticed that my my sight is not as good as it used to be. I don't know if it was due to the LASIK or cataract surgery, but it seems that I need a little more light in the rooms. I need a little more light when I read. And then when I go outside, I need to almost wear sunglasses because it's too bright sometimes when I'm driving and I know that it's it's unlawful to drive with any eyewear on your, your motorcycle, so that's not a big problem for me wearing eyewear. And I can understand why some people wear even sunglasses when they enter into a facility because it may be too bright for them. I always thought it looked a little shady when somebody would wear a set of nice sunglasses and showing off. But the highest form of self selfishness is that of a person who is content to go to heaven just alone. Happiness is the soul which soon Soon after they receive light. Happy is that soul which as soon as they receive light from heaven, they begin to think of others. They think of others as well as themselves. So no candle which God lights was ever meant to burn alone. I remember reading a story, and I can't remember where I read it a pastor who went to visit a prisoner. And as he visited the prisoner, he said nothing. And the prisoner said nothing. And they were seated in a rocking chair, and both of them were rocking back and forth about the same movement. And the prisoner got up and put another log in the fire. And sometime Later, the log kind of rolled out of the fire. And the pastor got up and he rolled the log back into the flames. Not a word was said. The pastor got up. And the lesson for the prisoner was that if you're not a part of the flame, if you're not part of the fire, if you're not part of the light, you'll burn out. No candle which God lights was ever meant to burn alone. We learn secondly from these verses the great importance of right, right hearing. Now there's a lot of hearing going on in the world today. There's a lot of influences about the, the world culture and 
rewriting history. Be very careful, little ears, what you hear. The great importance of right hearing. Right hearing. I've always told individuals, and I, I learned it from Billy Graham, he said, don't, don't listen to me. Listen and then see if what I, I, I say is grounded in the Word of God. Does what I say reflect the Word of God? Does what I say reflect Jesus? Does what I say reflect the light of God's Word? The words of our Lord Jesus Christ ought to impress that lesson that's deeply, deeply on our hearts. For Jesus says, Take heed. Take heed how you hear. How you hear. There's been many many a person, many a pastor, many a parishioner that's been led astray by so-called shepherds and under-shepherds. Last count, there were some 4,000 various cults that talked about Jesus but felt that he was probably an alternate way, that he was not necessarily the truth, the life, the way. And the degree of benefit which one receives from all the means of grace depends entirely on the way in which we use it. We use this truth. We use our ears. Private prayer, private prayer is a very necessary means in our Christianity, yet the mere formal repetition and repeating of a set of words which may be be far away from the heart. There's no good to that one soul. Reading the Bible is essential to the attainment of sound Christian knowledge, yet the mere formal reading of so many chapters as a task and a duty without a humble desire to be taught of Christ and God is little better than a waste of time. Just as it is with friendly and and Bible reading as it is with hearing. Hearing. It's not enough that we go to church. Although going to church is critical. Bible reading, so it is with hearing. It's not enough that we go to church and we, we hear sermons. We we may do so for for a hundred years and be nothing better, but rather worse, like the scribes and the Pharisees. Take heed, Jesus says, says our Lord. How do you hear? How do you hear? And when anyone know how to hear aright, then let them lay to heart these simple rules. Three simple rules. For one thing, for one thing we must hear. We must hear with faith. Hear with faith. Believing implicitly that every word of God is true stand. Thy word. Thy word. And the word in old time did not profit the Jews. According to Hebrews chapter 4 to not being mixed with faith. That faith was never present in the Jews. Not being fixed with faith in them that heard it. For another thing we must hear 
sense of reverence, remembering constantly that the Bible is a book of God. The Bible is the word of God. Thus was the habit of the Thessalonians. They, they received Paul's message not as a word of a human, but, but the word of God, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. And above all, we must hear with prayer, praying for God's blessings again when the sermon is over. Here lies the great defeat, the great defeat of the hearing of many. They ask for no blessing, and so they have none. The sermon passes through their minds like a water or leaky vessel and leaves nothing behind. Let us hear these rules and keep them in mind every Sunday morning as we prepare our hearts for coming to church. One thing that helps me is that as I gather this coming Tuesday and I, I share with the eight-week group here at all the United Methodists, we have ten to eight to ten ministers. And I know many of the ministers will be present because they're going to want to hear about Cridley United Methodists and my beloved friend, Reverend Wayne Swanson, whose twin son committed suicide and how he's doing. Let us, as we best share the concerns that we have one with another, our, our joys and our sorrows, let us bear these rules in mind every Sunday morning before we go to hear the word of God being preached. Let us not rush into God's presence, careless or reckless and unprepared, as if it mattered not in what way such work was to be done. I've often wondered when many of us have had surgeries, if I had my bypass and other surgeries on my body, I wondered what the, the physician, the cardiologist, and the surgeon, what kind of night they had the night before, what kind of morning they had. You want them to be and focused and rested. And I look at it myself. I want to be very careful what I do on Saturday, Saturday nights, and Sunday mornings. I want to be, because I'm a kind of a spiritual surgeon, and you're to be a patient. And you're to be a minister too. You're supposed to be sharp and you're supposed to be alert to receive that healing that counsel from God as if it mattered not in what way such work was done let us carry with us faith let us carry with us reverence and a, and a special form of prayer and if these three are companions companions we shall hear with profit hear with profit and return with praise and then finally this morning, we learn finally from these verses, the great privilege. It's a great privilege of those who hear the word of God, and not only hearing, but do it, do it. Our Lord Jesus Christ declares that, that he regards them as his mother and his brother, that you become 
part of that family and God, I become part of that intimate relationship. You become Jesus' mother and brother. Because Jesus says the one who hears, hears the word of God and does it, is the true Christian. They hear the call of God to repent. They hear the call of God to be converted and to obey it. One who ceases to do evil and be converted and obeys it and learns to do well. One who puts off the old nature and puts on the new nature. One who hears the call of God to believe on Jesus Christ for justification and one who obeys it. Father God, this morning, there is a bowed and every eye closed and both my way of television and radio this morning. Help us to um, forsake our own righteousness and help us to take on the righteousness of Christ. For he who forsakes one's own righteousness and confesses his need of a Savior, one who sees Christ crucified as one's only hope, one who counts all things lost in the kingdom and the knowledge, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. One who bears the call of God to be holy and, and to obey it. One who strives to mortify the deeds of one's body and to walk after the Spirit. One who labors to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets one. This is true and vital Christianity. All men and women, boys and girls who are of this character are true Christians. And now the troubles, the troubles of all who hear the word of God and do it, are neither small nor few. The world, the flesh, and the devil continually vex them. They, they are often grown being burdened, according to 2 Corinthians 5.4. They often find the cross as heavy and the, the way to heaven rough and, and narrow. They often feel disposed to cry out with St. Paul, who so says, O wretched one that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans 7, 24. And as we close today, we let all such take comfort in the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we are now considering. Let them remember that the Son of God himself regards them as their own near relatives. Let them not heed the laughter. Let them not heed the mockery or the persecution of the world. But the woman of whom Christ says, She is my mother. And the man to whom Christ says, He is my brother. Have no cause to be ashamed. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and Christians reaffirming their decision for Christ. Would you pray this prayer with me? Jesus, I admit that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory and things that I have done and things undone. Forgive my sins, O Lord. Come into my heart and mind. I want to be a part of your family. Come, Holy Spirit. Help me to obey as I am led by your Spirit. I think we're at the point of our service where past the offering place, no, past them, and you can just answer to them. But would you join me first on the offertory prayer this morning? Virginia, your voice.
and God comes closer than our own heartbeat. We long to dwell in your closeness, abiding in you, and you're abiding in us. However, the call to abide in other places is strong. To abide in the world of popularity and acceptance, or in the world of increasing wealth and power centered around our own wants and desires. As we offer our gifts and ourselves to you, help us turn away from our calls and abide in that place of heart's deepest desire. In your Son Jesus, and He in us, in Christ we pray. Amen. You may remain seated as we take up the offering. Let us turn to our offertory prayer. My hope is built. Purple number 
God, we continue to hold on to the celebration and the triumphant of life after death and the triumph of Easter. As we look back over the past year, we realize that many of us can identify with Thomas's doubt. Can we be the church, the body of Christ, when we can't see the body gathered in our sanctuary? Yet Christ has opened our eyes to his risen body. It can't be confined by walls and is not diminished by precautions and social distancing. As we look on this, to you we reaffirm the resurrection power that we may have seen, and so we say again, Hallelujah. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Father, we remember this day, uh, Margo, who she touched many of our hearts by being our alternate organist and choir director and for Christmas and Hanukkah and Christmas events.